So we have self-awareness, but we lack self-compassion. And so in order to really rewire our brains, we have to go there from a place of self-kindness because it's love that truly transforms us. It's not judgment. I'm Liz Sumner, and this is I Always Wanted To, the podcast where I interview people who are doing things that others long to do. What have you always wanted to try? Someday I will heed the call and sail off into the blue. Someday I will bag it all and do the things I want to do. La 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 la, the things you want to do. La 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 la, the things you want to do. Hi, everyone. My guest, Jess Reed, believes in and talks in detail about the keto diet plan. While I was not looking for a diet and have a fair amount of resistance to them, she made it sound so intriguing that I've been following it myself for the month or so since we spoke. More about that in a minute. But what I especially liked was Jess's philosophy. Ideas like what works is focusing on how you want to feel rather than a number on a scale, and that change comes from self-love, not from judgment. That's an approach I can get behind. I've had other guests who spoke about diet and weight loss. After listening to Jess, you might also check out I Always Wanted to Change My Habits with Betsy Burroughs from February 2019, and I Always Wanted to Bike Across the Country with Leslie Kazanoff from October 2021. Leslie is a nutritionist and committed vegan. She made some great points, but I'm not ready to give up meat and dairy. Jess Reed's description of keto and how it works is very compelling. My results have not been quite as astonishing, but I think I know why, and I'm going to stick with it for now. See if you feel as motivated as I did after listening to her story. Here's the interview. My guest today is Jessica Reed. Jess is an ICF-certified coach who is passionate about helping women heal their relationship with food, weight, and body image. Welcome, Jess. Thank you so much, Liz. I'm happy to be here. So it's a new year and many of us have resolved to do something about our weight. How do you recommend that we phrase a goal in a way that will help us be successful? Yes, this is such a great question because language is really everything when it comes to getting our brains uh, to do what we want to do, right? We could, you know, I have a five-year-old daughter and when you're talking to kids, it can make such a difference in the way that you say something to them. And of course, adults are the same way. We never really grow out of that. But imagine if I said to my daughter, we can't go to the park until you put your shoes on versus mm -hmm. as soon as you put your shoes on, we can go to the park. It's such a small little tweak, but the way that our brains hear it and respond is completely different, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I loved how your first question was actually, how can we phrase a goal to help ourselves actually do what we want to do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Liz, do you have a weight loss goal for this new year? I definitely have a, a relationship with my weight that uh, could use some improvement, uh -huh. but calling it numbers and saying, I need to lose X number of, of pounds doesn't usually work for me. Okay, sounds good. So I have um, about five questions that I would walk somebody through. So would you be willing to play guinea pig for us and answer sure. some of these questions? You don't sure. have I to tell me how many pounds you want to lose, but that's okay. not involved in this at all. Okay. okay. So 
usually we think we want a certain result. In other words, we want to see a certain number on the scale, right? And we think once I see that number on the scale, great, I I will have reached my goal, all shall be well, I'll move on to my next goal, so on and so forth. But really we don't actually want that result. We want how we believe we're going to feel when we get that result. And so I actually, when it comes to phrasing goals, the first thing that I like to start with with people is feelings, because we need to actually explore how you want to feel in order to figure out what we're going to do to get you to that feeling, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so backing it up even another step, sometimes people have a really difficult time knowing what they want to feel. It's very ethereal. And so the an easier question to start with is how do I not want to feel? Mm-hmm. So for our listeners today, let's start there. How do I not want to feel? And so Liz, for you, when you're thinking about your health goals for the upcoming year, how do you not want to feel? How are you sick and tired of feeling? Anxious. Okay. Anxious. Uh, shameful. Uh, mm-hmm. Failure. You know. <laughs> yeah. So anxious. Um, ashamed. Yeah. And feeling like a failure. Okay. Awesome. And so that's how you don't want to feel great. Um, feeling like a failure is actually not quite an emotion. I wonder if we could get a little bit more specific. So for our listeners as well, sometimes Googling a list of emotions can be really helpful, but anxious is a great one. So Mm -hmm. you can feel anxious. You can Mm -hmm. feel ashamed Mm -hmm. feeling like a failure. Um, I wonder if we could say you feel afraid. No, that's not, not, let me see if I can get it. I just read a great article about disgust. So so it's a little bit of, Mm. of, um, you've said this before, you, you keep coming around to this, you stupid fool. So uh, it's, it's Mm. not fear. It's judgment. Judgment. Uh Yeah. Okay. So you don't want to feel judgmental anymore. Yeah. These are great. Really, really great. And thank you so much for being the vulnerable kitty pig, because I'm sure that your listeners are going to be like, yes, I, I, that's what she said. I feel that. Yeah. Okay. So now that you know how you don't want to feel, how do you want to feel? And hint for our listeners, usually this is like the opposite of how you just said you don't want to feel. Mm -hmm. So how do you want to feel uh, regarding your health in this upcoming year? Uh, Relaxed. I want it to be sort of matter of fact. It, it's just a natural, e- easy mm. response to the way I'm living my life. Yeah. Okay. So you want to feel relaxed. You want to feel ease. You want to feel natural. Okay. Anything else? Uh, successful. Um, yeah. Comfortable in my clothing. Mm. Yeah. Successful, comfortable, confidence. Esteem? Yes. Confident is is better. I like that. Confident. Okay. Awesome. So we've gotten a good handle on how you don't want to feel. We've gotten a good handle on how you do want to feel. And so now as we're thinking about approaching how you do want to feel and avoiding how you don't want to feel, what do you want to release from your life? And we'll, we'll stop here because, you know, we, we're probably going to be getting into very personal territory unless you want to chime in, uh, feel free. But for our listeners, the next question that I would encourage you to explore in your journal with a trusted friend, if you have a coach, what do you want to release from your life? People, places. Uh, so think about nouns, people, people, places, things, or ideas. 
So relationships, possessions, responsibilities, beliefs, habits. These are things that maybe we need to release from our life in order to stop feeling the way that we don't want to feel and in order to start feeling the way that we do want to feel. Is there anything that you do want to chime in here? No, I think that okay. that at this point I'd love to to turn the focus back to you and yeah. uh, because I I like the direction that this is going and tell me more. Yeah, awesome. So people might be thinking, okay, um, in regards to my my health goals, like I want to feel at ease, I want to feel relaxed, I want to feel natural, I want to feel authentic, successful, comfortable, confident. These are things that you've mentioned, and I bet a lot of people are really resonating with this, right? Um, because oftentimes the thing that we believe we need to do in order to find success and reach our weight loss goal can actually feel like the opposite of a lot of these things. Yeah. Like it could feel like the opposite of relaxed. It could mm -hmm. feel like stressful. Mm -hmm. It could mm -hmm. feel the opposite of ease. It could mm -hmm. feel like, oh, man, I am pushing myself every single day. I am white knuckling this. This is hard. It's not easy. It's actually really hard to do this. Um, it doesn't really align with the other values in my life, but this is what so-and-so expert told me that I need to do in order for this to work. And this is why so many people stop doing what it is that they believe that they want to do, because at a certain point, the strategies that they believe that they need to employ to get to the goal that they believe they want to have are actual opposites. Mm -hmm. Like the mm -hmm. whole journey to getting to this place of, okay, now I weigh what I want to weigh and I feel self-approval or I think I will. I mm -hmm. feel self-approval or I finally feel confident or I finally feel some form of self-love for myself. But everything that I had to do to get there was kind of the opposite of that. I had to shame myself and I had to punish myself and I had mm -hmm. to restrict myself. And every single day it was hard and it wasn't natural. Um, that's why we give up, right? Mm -hmm. Because we actually don't feel the way that we want to feel. So that's why we have to start with feelings, because we're always going to keep pursuing the way that we want to feel. So the beauty of the journey is that we could actually feel how we want to feel on the way to getting to the goal that we have and continue to feel the way, the way that we want to feel even once we've gotten there. So that would actually be the goal. So what do I want to release from my life? And then also, what do I want to bring into my life would be the next question. Um, and then what are my next inspired and aligned actions? So I like to focus with my clients on approach goals instead of avoid goals. So remember that example that I gave you uh, with my five-year-old daughter, you know, like <laughs> we can't do this until you put on your shoes versus as soon as you um, put on your shoes, then we can go to the park. So that's a really good example of an approach goal versus an avoid goal. When we set an avoid goal for ourselves, like I'm not going to eat carbs, right? <laughs> What happens in our brains is like, don't think about a pink elephant. And all mm -hmm. we're doing is thinking about a pink elephant. Exactly. So whatever we focus on expands and we move in the direction of whatever we're focused on. So sometimes our brain tends to just drop the not or the don't. And it just is focusing on carbs, right? Or it's focusing on, you know, what I can't have. And we have a strong need for autonomy and freedom at all times. And so if we could, you know, make a really simple shift in our language to um, I eat foods that bless my body instead of I don't eat whatever this food is. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really good example of setting an approach goal instead of an avoid goal. That's beautiful. I like this philosophy a lot. Yeah, thank you. So, so how did you come to specialize in this work? So um, it was definitely my own personal journey, struggling with my weight for my entire life. 
I actually have a twin sister mm-hmm. and we are fraternal twins. We're not identical. So we do look, we look like sisters, mm-hmm. but of course everybody compared us um, throughout our entire childhood. My mom even dressed us the same way, even though we were fraternal twins and everything. Um, growing up in the 1980s, it was right in the middle of, you know, the low fat craze and everything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I grew up at a time when, for some reason, it was acceptable for people to walk up to you and say, oh, look, there's the tall, skinny one, and there's the short, fat one. Like, they don't look anything alike. And so this was a a massive childhood wound for me. Um, I struggled with my weight and my body image for my entire life. I remember, you know, family members just commenting on my weight as a child, like pinching my cheeks, look at your cute little chubby cheeks or patting me and saying, oh, nice and fat, nice and fat, which was like supposed to be some type of a compliment in my Portuguese heritage, or at least that's what my parents would try to tell me. But for me, it was just so deeply hurtful and scarring. And I thought for sure there's something wrong with me you know, my mom was always on a diet as well when I was growing up. And so my mom would try to talk to me about my weight in a well-meaning way. I think she didn't want me to face the same kind of lifelong struggle that she did. So she tried to intervene very early and put me on a diet at like eight years old. So of course it was eat low fat, right? Because that's what was going on in the 1980s. So I'll never forget. um, Actually, we had a babysitter come over to the house when I was about eight years old. And my mom had a whiteboard on the front of the refrigerator and it was snacks that we were allowed to eat when the babysitter was there. And on one side, it said Jessica's snacks. And on the other side, it said Julie's snacks. And they were two completely different things. Like Julie could have ice cream, Jess had to have the low fat frozen yogurt. Julie could have potato chips, but Jess had to have the fat free pretzels. And this was the type of like scarring. So (laughs) that I grew up with. So I share all this to say, our childhood wounds can run deep, right? And what it does is it affects the lens through which we see ourselves and see the world for the rest of our lives, unless we actually take steps to consciously change our beliefs. So these were the subconscious beliefs that I grew up with. And even though I I truly did struggle with my weight a little bit as a child, like even a doctor would say, okay, we should probably (laughs) keep an eye on this. By the time I hit puberty, I started, uh, you know, engaging in some unhealthy tactics to try to lose weight. I was definitely restricting calories. Um, I was, you know, secretly working out in my room after school, things like that. And I, I did lose the weight by the time I was probably 14 years old. I was, I was at a normal weight, but I saw myself as overweight for my entire teenage years and all through my 20s. No matter what I did, I felt like it was like total body dysmorphia. I, I looked around and I thought everybody is smaller than me, everybody is skinny, and I'm not, and so on and so forth. So it was it was a lifelong struggle. When I was in my 20s, my mid-20s, I went through something that was kind of traumatic. Um, and I actually did gain about 40 pounds in the course of a year. So I found myself truly overweight. And that was really painful experience, experience for me. I remember looking in the mirror and feeling like an alien in my own body. Like I remember looking in the mirror and being like, that's not me. Like that can't be me. Who is, who is that? Mm -hmm. Um, I was hiding out from my life. Whenever I would get invitations to go somewhere, I was changing clothes like seven or eight times, winding up crying, like nothing looked right on me. Um, and I, I was hiding out. I was turning down invitations. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to do anything. I felt so much shame and so much disgust and so tired. So how I got started on this journey was from that place. I started eating, uh, Atkins, on November 8th, 2013. 
three weeks before Thanksgiving. So you can tell I did not think that it was going to be long-term, right? I just wanted to lose 10 pounds as quickly as possible. And the reason why I chose Atkins was because when I was in, um, you know, high school, I saw my mom eating Atkins as a way to lose five pounds in a week. And then she would go back to eating pizza on the weekend. She would like reward herself (laughs) for losing five pounds during the week. Like let's go out for pizza. And so Atkins, I knew nothing about it except for the fact that you could lose uh, weight quickly. And that's all I really cared about at the time. I did not care whether it was healthy. And in fact, I kind of believed that it was unhealthy actually at the time, but I was like, whatever, it's short term. I just want to lose 10 pounds before Thanksgiving and move on with my life. Well, I sure enough did lose those 10 pounds within two weeks, but what I did not expect was how incredible I felt. Um, I definitely went through a little bit of a transition that they, now I understand is called the keto flu commonly. Um, but as your body is transitioning fuel sources, you can feel a little tired, lethargic, a little bit sick. And I did feel that, but after about the fifth day, it was just like the lights turned on. I had so much energy. I had so much mental clarity. My appetite was suppressed. I finally felt freedom in my thoughts from food for the first time in my entire life. And what I mean by that is, Prior to this, I would eat like a high carb dinner every night, like a big plate of pasta, hardly any protein or anything. And then of course, an hour after dinner, we're watching television, just vegging out. And then I want to have something sweet and something salty and something sweet and something salty. And I would repeat this until I was so bloated and distended and full of self-disgust. And I would go to bed and vow to be different the next day. And then probably starve myself the whole day and repeat this process day after day after day after day. And so this was for the first time eating this new way that I would eat dinner and I would feel fully satisfied, like no longer hungry and no longer craving anything after dinner. And that type of freedom was what actually convinced me within two weeks. I was like, I'm not going back. And I kept it a secret to myself. I was like, I'm going to do this forever. Why don't people know about this? (laughs) And I stayed, I stayed low carb and keto on Thanksgiving. Everybody was like, really? Like, aren't you taking this a little bit too far? And I was like, well, I'm feeling really good. I'm just going to keep going with this. And um, I lost those full 40 pounds plus another 10 pounds, probably within the course of about six months. Um, But even once I reached my weight loss goal, I knew that I wanted to continue this way of eating forever because of the freedom that it gave me and feeling physically so much better in my body. My skin cleared up, my digestion cleared up. I had been struggling with depression and anxiety that really abated things. It didn't cure me. You know, there was a lot more inner work to do, but it was a huge difference. Um, And it was so much positive change in my life that I still say to this day, I eat keto as a form of self-care. I'm happy with my weight, but I eat keto as a form of self-care. We'll have more with Jess Reed about the keto diet and self-care after the break. So first explain to me, how do you define keto? Well, the thing that I love about keto is that actually it's objective. Like you truly can measure it and define it. So ketosis is a metabolic state when your body no longer has glucose or sugar or starch as a prevalent fuel source. Your body can actually switch into a different metabolic state or like a backup fuel source of burning fat for fuel. And so when your body has depleted all of the stored sugar in your liver and your muscles, then your body switches to starting to burn your stored body fat for fuel. Um, Or you can be burning dietary fat, meaning you're eating fat and and burning that as well. Um, And so the byproduct of breaking down fat for fuel are ketone bodies. And so this is called a state of ketosis. And you can actually measure the presence of ketone bodies in your blood, your breath, and your urine. 
So for anybody who's a perfectionist out there or who loves data or measuring things, like it's really kind of fun. You can actually see that you are quote unquote, truly doing it right. <laughs> so what kind of tools do you need if you want to measure things like that? Yeah, yeah. Actually, the, the most accessible are ketone uh, urinalysis strips. So you just pee on a, on a urine strip and it'll show you a color and it, it's proof that you're in ketosis. You can get a bottle of about 100 strips for about $7. Um, so it's it's very affordable and accessible. It's in the diabetic section of any pharmacy. You can buy them on Amazon. You can buy them anywhere now. Um, so that's probably the, the easiest. You can also test your blood. That's a little bit more expensive, almost a dollar a strip. So, um, But it actually is more accurate over time because um, your body becomes really efficient at burning ketones for fuel and therefore is putting less into your waste. And so for people who are not aware of that, after several weeks, you can see, uh, you might not even see any ketone bodies in your urine and you might get discouraged, mm. but that's actually very normal. It's a good thing. Um, so testing your blood becomes more accurate over time. And then you can also test your breath. So they have breath meters. Um, they're more of an investment up front. They're around $100. But the beautiful thing is that you never need to um, buy any extra supplies. It'll just last you forever. You don't need to replenish the strips. You're not poking yourself. You're not bringing it into the bathroom. You can just mm -hmm. blow into it for 10 mm -hmm. seconds. And it, it, and it is the most accurate over time while being the most cost effective over time. Is there a way to do modified keto or it just so, sort of like a slower version that isn't quite as disruptive to the way that you eat? Yes, absolutely. So keto falls underneath the overall umbrella of a low carb diet. So for most people, well, actually, it probably like all nutritionists and the American Diabetes Association and all of these places, they would say a low carb diet is anything under 130 grams of carbs per day. The standard American diet is between like 300 and 400 carbs per day, um, just to give you a little bit of a context. Mm -hmm. So if you're eating under 130, some people would say probably around 100 is a good low-carb diet. I actually probably eat between 80 and 100 now, but I'm still burning ketones because my body has become so used to running on ketones for fuel. But when you first are trying to start a keto diet, if you actually want to get into a state of ketosis, most people probably need to restrict to around 50 carbs per day, and then you're going to actually see your, your body switch over into ketosis. You can lose weight either way, but the real benefit of ketosis is that suppressed appetite that you might not find with a low-carb diet. I've certainly seen many books and, and videos and things like that about how to do the diet. Do you have a, a recommended set of instructions for uh, for somebody who wants to, to learn more and or begin to eat keto? Yeah, definitely. I mean, generally, a really good resource that people can use right away is a free app called Carb Manager. And that's a really good way to track your carbs. You can also set goals for your protein and your fat. And usually what I tell people is just set your, when you're opening up that app, just set the calories to maintenance you're not actually gonna maintain your weight. You're gonna be burning so many extra calories just by being in a state of ketosis. And by focusing primarily on protein, you actually burn more calories. So people get freaked out at first and they're like, no, 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 I need to set it to the lowest calories possible because I wanna lose as much weight as quickly as possible. Just trust if you can, set it to set it to maintenance. And so let's just say that for you, maintaining your weight is gonna look about like 1800 calories per day. I'm just throwing out a number, right? And so then you're gonna focus first on protein minimum. Your body needs protein from dietary sources. You need to get a, 
essential amino acids from dietary protein. Protein also is the most satiating type of macronutrient. It's going to help you feel fuller longer because it takes more effort for your body to break down that protein. If you eat like orange juice and cereal first thing in the morning, that instantly turns to sugar and you're done processing it. Within two hours, you're hungry again. Meanwhile, if you eat bacon and eggs in the morning, that's going to take your body longer to break that down. And you're going to be full for like three, four, sometimes five, six hours. And so that's really helping you. Weight loss is all about appetite suppression. That's like the biggest thing that's going to help you. So focusing on protein is going to help your appetite to be suppressed. You actually burn calories breaking down protein because of the energy that it requires. And so you're, you're losing weight while you're eating protein. Like that's pretty, pretty incredible. So I tell people start with a protein minimum at least 100 grams. Most women that I start working with, I mean, they're, they're eating like 40 to 60 grams of protein per day. Like somehow we've got it in our heads that we don't want to eat animal protein, that it's bad for us or whatever. It's actually so good for you. So focus on protein as your approach goal. When you're hungry, eat as much animal protein as you want, and then focus on eating above ground leafy green vegetables. So like green beans, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, asparagus, um, any kind of salad vegetables. These are all great things. Vegetables that grow below the ground that are a little bit starchier, they tend to have more carbohydrates. They're not necessarily things that you can never have, but more in moderation. So like squashes, sweet potatoes, carrots, any kind of root vegetables, um, any kind of legumes like peas, beans, things like that. Again, they're not like, I don't want to demonize those foods, but they tend to have higher carbohydrates. So you're just going to be focusing on protein, low carb vegetables, and then some type of a healthy fat. So you can count all of those things. If you like counting things, you could just follow a meal formula. If you like to do that, some people like to do the fist method. So you're going to start with a palm of protein, two fists of low carb vegetables, and one to two thumbs of healthy fat. That could be a really good formula to follow as well. I love that. I haven't heard that one. I've heard the palm before, but not the others. So what gets in the way of somebody starting or being successful after say two weeks or a month on this? There will always be obstacles in our way. Probably the thing that's going to come up first for us are going to be what we would call external obstacles. So I don't have enough time. I can't afford this type of food. I don't have anybody to help me. My husband doesn't want to eat the way that I eat and I don't want to cook two separate meals. Same thing with my kid um, or my partner, whatever, fill in the blank, whoever you live with whatever it might be, like, we're going to come up with these external obstacles that are set before us. And so we can come up with a way to navigate all of those external obstacles, but we have to believe that we are capable of overcoming them. And, And that's where I would say these things can actually be both external obstacles, but really internal obstacles. So internal obstacles are the way that we think about things, the story that we're telling ourselves, and also the beliefs that we're holding about ourselves. And so when most people are setting a goal for themselves, let's say a weight loss goal or any other kind of a goal, we tend to focus on, I want a different result. Therefore, I'm going to change my behavior to get a different result. And that works, but we're not going deep enough yet. If there's, imagine that we are like an onion. And so there's multiple layers and the outermost layer is our results. And right below that layer is behavior. So our behavior influences our results. Yes, absolutely true. But what influences our behavior? Our thoughts and our feelings. And then at the very core of the onion, the core of who we are is our beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so unless we actually go beyond the layer of just behavior and we get down into 
well, what thought precipitated this behavior? Mm -hmm. And how does that make me feel? And then what do I actually believe about this? Maybe there's a deep feeling of unworthiness or some of the, some of the beliefs that I had to overcome. Remember what I grew up with as a child was, this is my DNA. Mm -hmm. Look around Mm -hmm. at the women in my family. I'm never going to look any different than all of the other women in my family. Or I was always told that I had a slow metabolism. I didn't know what the heck that meant when I was eight years old. And so my belief was my body is broken. My body is fighting me. Mm. Um, No matter what I'll do, I'll never be able to look the way that I want to look. And so some of these were like deep-seated beliefs that I actually had to get down to that and overcome those things in order to reach my goals. They were internal obstacles. And this is why people self-sabotage. We we hear that word a lot, right? But it's like, I know what to do. I don't know why I'm not doing it. Well, it's because if you break out of um, the belief that you have, that can feel very unsafe. That can feel, it really just throws off everything. But if we go there consciously and from a place of love, then we can actually not only have self-awareness. A lot of us have self-awareness. They're like, oh yeah, I know exactly where this comes from. I also recall that childhood painful memory. I'm very aware of all of my crap and where it came from. It came from my dad's voice. It came from my mom's voice. It came from my big sister, whatever it might be. So we have self-awareness, but we lack Mm self-compassion. And so in order to really rewire our brains, we have to go there from a place of self-kindness because it's love that truly transforms us. It's not judgment. I really appreciate the explanation that you're giving. It makes it sound doable and reasonable, and I understand how to approach it, and very well might even try. Tell me, tell me about how you work with clients. So you have given us lots of good advice about how one might do it on their own, but if they wanted extra support, how, how do you work with clients? Yeah, thank you for that question. So there's two ways to work with me right now. Um, I take clients one-on-one and I do have availability open. Um, So if you're interested in that, you can learn more at my website, theketofit.com. So basically we meet about once a week over Zoom video chat and we use the time in sessions to definitely set goals. We're gonna focus on concrete strategies, but more so than that, we use that time as a safe container to start to go deeper and explore some of these beliefs, explore some of these internal obstacles. Mm -hmm. And so I have a variety of mindset tools and journal exercises and just fun assessments to do with my clients that really help us to do the inner work of shifting your mindset out of self-sabotage and into self-care. Yeah, that's what I love to do. One-on-one coaching is definitely my favorite, Um, but I realized that not everybody has the ability to work one-on-one with a coach. So I actually do have another way of working together with me, and that's my new online course. Um, It's called the Self-Care Keto Mindset Masterclass. And so what I'm doing is I'm actually sharing 10 of my most um, effective mindset tools and exercises that I do with my one-on-one clients, but it's through a self-paced online course that you can do. Um, If you want to learn more about that, that's at theketofit.com slash mindset, and you can um, check that out as well. I will put links to to your website and to that uh, and to the Carb Manager app in the show notes. What kind of time frame? should a person expect if they're not like really uh, gung-ho gotta lose this in an x number of, of weeks what's a reasonable amount of time to see dramatic results wow um i would say that the majority of my clients find what they find to be a dramatic difference within the first week 
of, of eating keto. Yes. And that's the, that's another thing that I love so much about this particular strategy for weight loss is that when your body does switch over from burning primarily sugar or carbs for fuel to burning fat for fuel, there is a marked difference hormonally, biologically, physiologically. And from an evolutionary perspective, there's a really good reason for that. And that's because think about our ancestors, right? When there was a deprivation of food availability or a famine, right? How would you want to feel to be able to survive? Do you, do you want to feel lethargic and slow and like you have no energy? Or do you want to feel alert and clear and energized to be able to then find the next kill or find the next, you know, food that you can gather. And so it makes sense that your body actually feels a higher performance level when you are burning on, you're burning ketones for fuel. But I think not a lot of people expect that, even though I tell them like, you're not going to believe how good you feel. Just hang in there for those first couple of days. And then without a doubt, everybody is like, oh my goodness. Like, I feel like I slept so much better. I feel like my digestion is so much better. I feel more alert. I feel more clear. I feel a little bit happier. Like, I feel less stressed. I feel just more um, more stable energy throughout the day. I'm not hitting that 3 p.m. slump. I'm not hungry after dinner. Uh, my partner says they see a difference in me. Like, my skin is clearing up. All of these things, like, really, truly, within the first one to two weeks, people are experiencing dramatic results in addition to probably losing a good amount of water weight in the first week. And so your body is flushing out a lot of stored water because for every gram of carbohydrate that you eat, your body stores four grams of water. That's why they're called carbohydrates. And so people will kind of dismiss like, oh, it's just water weight in the beginning. Hey, water weight is weight on your body. Like when you lose 10 pounds, even though it's water weight, like your jeans are fitting looser, your, your body feels different. And when you look different, you look in the mirror, you look different. So that's a huge difference and a huge pro of that initial first couple of weeks in ketosis is you, you will feel a dramatic difference within the first one to two weeks. And also the physical cravings really dissipate within the first one to two weeks. The psychological cravings take a little bit longer. What I mean by that is, um, you know, you see a commercial for, you know, whatever fast food thing comes up or like cookies or something. And you're like, Ooh, that looks good. <laughs> and so it takes a little bit of time for that to wear off. I'd say for most people between like four and six weeks, the psychological cravings dissipate. You're able to like watch your partner, um, eat a bag of tortilla chips and you're like not phased by it. And you're like, what kind of strange magic is this? Because in the beginning you're like, like, what can I eat instead of tortilla chips? I need something crunchy or whatever. And like, you're giving yourself those little substitutes and those little crunches. Um, but yeah, the psychological cravings dissipate within probably four to six weeks. That feels incredible. And then the mindset shifts is an interesting thing to try to quantify, right? Like it, it's difficult to do because some people have an epiphany in a moment. Some people wrestle with things for a couple of months and neither one is better or worse. It just is what it is. But I will say that, my initial coaching commitment is five weeks for new clients and everybody feels a big difference in their mindset. Even within those first five weeks, it feels incredible. Most of them extend coaching with me because of that. And we continue to work in a more of a long-term container to keep work, working through those mindset shifts and holding you accountable to the concrete strategies that are actually working for you. Well, that is good news that, that you can, get a big win so quickly. That is very motivating. Momentum is powerful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it really is. This has been wonderful. What would you like to say in conclusion? I think it's just so important to remember that you're never too old. It's never too late. No matter how many times you think you have failed in the past, what if none of it was failure? What if it was just learning what didn't work? You know, 
What if it was just a good gas, babe? But, you know, on to the next thing. As long as you believe that you have the power to actually change your life, that's all that's required to truly do it. There's a million different strategies out there that you could try and experiment with until you get to your goal. But the real obstacle is just believing that you truly do have the power to influence your own life. You have the ability to act. You have the ability to influence things. And if you you know, don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, you can change the way you think about it. So we always have control over something. Keeping in the front of your mind, how do I want to feel versus how do I feel right now? And how can I give myself what I need? And, and then actually do that. That's just over and over and over again for the rest of your life. And it's actually pretty fun. You know, like some people might, might look at it like, oh man, you know, when will I ever just arrive? Like, no, you don't ever just arrive, but you keep feeling better and better and better. And you don't know how good you can feel until you feel it. And then you feel that. And then you're curious and you wonder, well, I wonder if I could feel even better than this. And then you just do that forever. And it's just such a fun, you know, life journey of actually creating the life that you want for yourself. And you do get a win. Like when I just had a client who reversed her diabetes within two months. Like when you look at those blood marker numbers and you think, whoa, I did that. I did that. Like when you get a win like that, even if it's 10 pounds on the scale, even if it's just your, your wedding ring is fitting looser, whatever it is, like you get that win and you look it back and you say, I did that. I wanted to change my life and I did something and I actually have the ability to do it. What can I do now? And you just keep doing that over and over again. That's all I would say is this. Just remember that you actually have the ability to change your life. So just believe it and just start small and then just keep adding from there and let's do it. That's wonderful. And a, exactly the philosophy that I feel in the, for this podcast. So I yeah. thank you very much. This has been a real pleasure and encouraging. Thank you so much for having me. My thanks to Jess Reed. You can find out more about her and her programs in the show notes. And you can hear more of our conversation as a bonus on patreon.com slash alwayswanted. I appreciate all the ways you show your support, sharing with your friends, giving me feedback, and leaving reviews. I invite everyone to write and tell me what you've always wanted to try. I'm Liz Sumner, reminding you to be bold. And thanks for listening. Things you want.